Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Week 46 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. And today's show is brought to you by Grasshopper. Friends of the pod can go to trygrasshopper.com slash Han where they can save $50 off their first order when you try Grasshopper at trygrasshopper.com slash Han. What a week, America. Nevada's behind us. South Carolina and Super Tuesday's ahead of us. Trump is in India. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the battle, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. So everybody's hair is on fire over Bernie Sanders uh, winning the Nevada caucus. Actually got the same numbers he got when he lost Hillary Clinton. Uh, The rest of the field is fragmented, but a win's a win, man. No prize for second place. And the next closest person was Biden, who came in, you know, way behind him. I think Biden got about 20% of the vote to Bernie Sanders, 47% of the pledged delegates or ever how they do that math in that Nevada caucus. I'm done with caucuses. I hope we're done with them forever. But uh, something tells me there'll be a caucus or two in 2024 uh, if the Democrats are nominating a new person. Hopefully they're not. But people's hair are, you know, a lot of people have their hair on fire this week about his comments over the weekend about Castro. And while... Uh, in the normal world, I would be among those people who were deriding those comments from a potential Democratic nominee for president saying that, you know, you basically kissed Florida goodbye. 
But we have a president in the White House right now who, you know, talks about love affairs with Kim Jong-un of North Korea, a brutal dictator who's still alive. And, um, and, and by the way, who didn't take over from some corrupt government that preceded him, not to say that Castro was good in any way. And he also uh, is, is in this love affair with Vladimir Putin. And right now he's in India with Modi, who's, you know, basically a religious fanatic who is trying to persecute a religious minority in India. India is a secular state. Uh, you know, I mean, the father of in- India, Mahatma Gandhi, um, could have led it into this Hindu state. He didn't. He wanted to see Muslim and, and Hindu Indians live as one. And him and he and Nehru, that was their their goal for India. And we have this guy, Modi, who Trump, you know, will wrap his arms around this week, who is persecuting a significant minority within that country, the Muslim minority within that country. Um, it is uh, amazing to me that anybody could think that anything that Bernie Sanders says is worse than what Trump has been doing as president. I mean, it's bad. It doesn't help. Look, it doesn't help. Um, And Trump is better at making hay out of that, and Republicans are better at making hay out of that than Democrats have been at making hay out of Trump's errors in, you know, in seeming to endorse tyrants around the world or maybe even endorsing tyrants around the world. I think really, I think it's clear to say that the president endorses tyrants around the world. So maybe the Democrats have to do a better job at pointing that out and not just defending their own candidates for whatever things they say. You know, Bernie said some stuff. You know, he was pretty clear that he thought Castro's totalitarianism was completely wrong and inappropriate. I can't remember the exact word. I'm trying to, I'm reaching for the exact word he used. Um, but he said, you know, does everything the guy do does is bad? Is everything? He, he created a literacy program. I mean, he didn't create a literacy program for the, you know, thousands of political prisoners he kept. Um, so yeah, maybe if you weren't on the wrong side of his politics, that's okay. So I think that's where we have to, you know, draw the line, uh, Senator Sanders, I think that we have to make sure that we're making that clear distinction because the president will have no mercy with a comment like that, especially in a state like Florida, which we do have a chance to win. Uh, I know that people have written it off. I don't write it off. Um, You know, you got 1.5 million people being restored, having their right to vote restored. That doesn't hurt, especially if you could register those people. And I know the Republicans in Florida are doing everything they can to keep those people disenfranchised, like putting poll taxes in place. Uh, you're saying, Chris, it's not a poll tax. They're, they're saying they got to pay their fees for the crimes they committed. Okay. Yeah, you just finished you know, a 10-year prison sentence. You're going to come out. How are you going to pay that fine? You got to pay a fine before you can vote? That's poll tax. Sorry. I don't care. And, and will not be constitutional. Will work its way through the courts. And even you know, Gorsuch and uh, you know, his drinking buddy will, will rule against that. So, you know, don't forget what they're trying to do here. But we do have a chance to win Florida. And, um, you know, a a significant Cuban population that has been pretty reliably Republican the last, you know, 20 years. So I don't know, you know, I would think the younger generations of generation of Cubans in Florida, 
are more likely to vote Democrat than any generation before it. And Bernie needs to not be paying lip service at all to anything good Castro did. And I know that he had said stuff praising Castro in his past. And that's fine. It was 40 years ago. And I don't think you could hold people account. You know, don't hold me uh, up to anything I said 40 years ago. Of course, I was, you know, not even, I was like six or seven. So, um, you know, it was probably all gibberish and nonsense and Star Wars and, you know, trucks and things like that. But uh, he was not, <laughs> he was not six or seven, 40 years or five, 40 years ago. He was, uh, he was considerably older. 35 years ago, he was in Congress. So uh, what he said mattered. Um, but it was a long time ago. And I think that we have to, um, you know, you know, keep dealing with that and make sure that we move on from it. We don't enhance it by further statements. Now, he, he did, you know, say he denounces totalitarianism and dictatorships. And, you know, that's true. And I believe him on that. But again... You know, I think it's up to the Democrats and people running against Trump to point out the president's own problems in areas like this. I mean, what Bernie said to me is is much tamer than anything Trump has said about Putin or Kim Jong-un. And I'm sure whatever he says about Mundi today in India or tomorrow, whenever he's there, whenever he's talking, whatever he says in India over their dictator. And I know he's not a dictator. He's democratically elected. But the, the policies he's putting in place, America, uh, you know, Looks like dictatorship to me. Looks like oppression to me. Okay, so we're going to say that this group is no longer citizens of India. Well, what's to stop him from making other groups not citizens of India if there becomes a sizable population that opposes him politically? And we do know that the Muslim population within India opposes him politically significantly. And he's making it very hard, very, very hard for poorer people within that group to retain their Indian citizenship. I'm not going to get into the whole uh, situation right now, but that's where the president is. Um, Is that guy worse than Castro? I mean, he didn't seize power in a military coup, but he is surely consolidating power. Same as the president. I mean, we, he, you know, he, his national security, excuse me, his uh, de- director of national intelligence, which is a very important job was you know, basically fired last week. And he's being replaced by a political hack, the ambassador to Germany, who has no experience in intelligence. The DNI is responsible for coordinating the various intelligence agencies and then taking that information and making sure it's packaged for national leaders. And and why is why is the current guy who's who was acting, of course, everybody's an acting in this presidential administration because he doesn't want anybody to have to go through Congress. What was, the, what was his crime? His crime was allowing one of his aides to go to Congress to testify that the Russians are indeed planning to interfere in the 2020 elections and most likely on behalf of Donald Trump. That's right. He said they're already doing it and they're doing it for Trump. Trump blew a gasket, didn't appoint him to the permanent job as it was very much expected that he would. Although this man did testify he did testify that he had no problem with the whistleblower or any of the people who had testified and that they had done the right thing uh, before Congress. Not as part of the, I don't believe it was part of the impeachment hearing, but he did do it at, at some point after, thereafter. He was questioned about it. 
So he's filling the government with political hacks, people who are not prepared. God forbid we have a real national crisis in this country while this man's still president. God forbid. The government is a skeleton, at least at the top levels. And a lot of the people in the middle tiers who are professional public servants are not sticking around. They are tired of this nonsense. And if this man gets reelected, they will be there will, you know, there'll be a mass exodus sometime late November of professional civil servants who make this country run. And God forbid we have a national emergency, whether it be a serious earthquake or tornado or a hurricane devastating our uh, one of our major population centers. A storm like Sandy, which came up and down the East Coast. You know, or God forbid there's another terrorist attack on our country. I mean, how is this man going to respond when he doesn't even have qualified people around him to give him options? I mean, this is the thing, America. This should scare you most about what's going on with this presidency. That there are there is a lack of qualified people around this president to give him the advice he needs to make decisions. You might not like the decisions he makes. He's elected to make decisions, but at least they should be informed decisions. And everyone who goes on television, everyone who works for him, they talk to an audience of one. There are few independent thinkers left in that administration. And that is a scary, scary thought. I fear for our country if this continues. So we got to get it together. And whether it's Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden or Mike Bloomberg, or anybody else, Amy Klobuchar. Um, we got to unite, and we've got to fight. Now, we all saw what happened in Nevada. We saw the debate on Wednesday night. You know, here's the thing about debates, America, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I know you've all heard enough. I, I doubt they matter. I mean, if that debate mattered, Elizabeth Warren would have done better in Nevada. I mean, Elizabeth Warren won that debate. There's there's no doubt she won that debate, in my mind. I mean, she tore Bloomberg apart. She tore, you know, she she was great on the issue. She took it to just about everybody on that stage, other than Bernie, by the way. And she should have gotten a big bump out of it. She didn't. I don't think she's going to get any delegates out of Nevada, actually, with her, I think, fourth place finish. Might be a fifth place finish. I can't remember. Fourth place. She didn't get any, any bump out of that. She's nowhere in the in the South Carolina polls. Biden is still leading in South Carolina. He's going to get a major endorsement from Congressman Clyburn. Um, you know, he's likely to win South Carolina. That muddles the picture even further, right? I mean, everybody's declaring Bernie Sanders the victor. There's a huge election two days after um, after South Carolina, which, by the way, it's it's going to be odd for me, right? My podcast comes out on Tuesday next week. Super Tuesday is the day my podcast comes out. Um, We won't know the results of Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday could decide the whole game, right? However, dot, dot, dot. I don't believe anyone is going to come out of the primary process with the 1,900 plus delegates needed to be the Democratic nominee at the convention. And the question is, and the question was asked at the debate last week, what happens then? Only one of the candidates said the person with the most delegates should automatically be the nominee, and that was Bernie Sanders. Uh, He didn't think that way um, four years ago. It's convenient that he thinks that way now. And I think if he goes into the convention just short of the majority, 
he's going to be the nominee, right? I mean, there's no doubt. But if he goes into the convention, let's say he's 70% there, and then the next two competitors combined can be above that total, and they decide to form a faction to defeat Bernie Sanders, what happens then? Does Bernie concede? I mean, the rules are the rules, right? Um, I think, like I said, if Bernie if Bernie keeps going the way he's going, he's going to be the nominee. And I think he's as electable as anybody else. And I'm not going to get into this. I've had this conversation with you. I, I'm, I've been on TV. I've talked about it. Uh, if Donald Trump could get elected president, Bernie Sanders could get elected president. Bernie Sanders is a liberal version of Donald Trump. He is not as um, distasteful as Donald Trump. You know, yes, he calls himself a democratic socialist, and I think he really should just call himself a New Deal Democrat. If you listen to his speech on democratic socialism, it kind of sounds like FDR, you know, a modernized version of FDR, FDR with healthcare and education. Okay, Donald Trump's a communist, if you ask me. And the the Republicans are already out there calling Bernie Sanders a communist, right? He's a democratic socialist, but they decided that that's not bad enough. They're going to call him a communist. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is a communist who has been giving out, you know, basically handing money out to certain industries because of bad deals he's made and because those industries happen to be politically favorable to him and his allies, like the farming industry. $15 billion because he made a bad deal with China and those farmers suffered. Those farmers didn't want that handout and I don't hate the farmers for it. I think that the president is a communist in doing that's right out of the Stalin five-year plan. And the Democrats better be making that case when the Republicans are calling Bernie, if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, they're going to call him a communist and they're going to call every Democrat running a communist. They're going to start calling the Democratic Party the Communist Party. And it's nonsense. It was on some TV shows this weekend and last week and I'll be on Pretty much every night this week. Go to my Twitter feed, at Christopher Hahn, if you want to know where I'm going to be. Um, And, you know, I'm on Fox, so I I, I get their side. And um, that's the main theme right now. Call him a communist. Not just a democratic socialist. A communist. Now, I have been saying that they'd call anybody who's running a socialist. But I didn't think they go to communist, especially given the fact that, you know, Trump's love affair with Vladimir Putin is questionable. And Vladimir Putin, while, you know, technically not a communist, I guess he's a kleptocrat, um, you know, rose out of the former Soviet Union. He was a KGB officer and his tactics are very KGB-esque. So if Donald Trump and the Republican Party wants to, you know, have a debate over who's closer to the communist Soviet Union, Trump or Bernie, let's have that debate. Let's talk about who's having the love affair with Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un, two communists, frankly. It is a, uh, it's going to be a dirty, dark election, America. And whatever Bernie does, let's say Bernie's the nominee, let's make the assumption that he's the nominee. He's got to unify the party. Sending out tweets talking, you know, comparing, you know, Nancy Pelosi to Mitch McConnell isn't going to help. 
And that's not exactly what he did, but he said the Democratic establishment and the Republican establishment better watch out. Um, I don't think that you can lump the Democratic establishment in with the Republican establishment. Now, I know he probably didn't write that tweet. Some millennial on his staff who probably doesn't even understand the difference between the parties is just a Bernie person, probably wrote that tweet. But as I have said before, and I will say it this entire election, unity of the party and the Democratic coalition matters more than who's at the top of the ticket. By a mile. Without unity, nobody can win. If Bernie pisses off the mainstream Democrats to the point where they don't want to vote for him in November, I mean, that's really hard to do. I mean, it's going to be really hard to do. But if he does that, he won't be president. If he becomes the nominee, he better pick somebody right out of the mainstream to be his VP. And if somebody other than Bernie becomes the Democratic nominee, they better pick somebody from the Bernie wing of the party to be the VP. No doubt, no doubt whatsoever that that needs to happen. You know, we see all these stories, oh, maybe Bloomberg would pick Hillary. No, Bloomberg's more likely to pick Bernie if he's the nominee. Oh, maybe Bernie will pick Nina Turner, who is, is, his, is you know one of his top surrogates, to be the VP. No, uh, he's more likely to pick Mike Bloomberg if he wants to win. And I think he wants to win, right? I hope... That this election, if Bernie Sanders is the nominee or whoever is the nominee, I hope this election's about winning the election and not making a point. Winning is the point. Because without winning, we have four more years of Trump, four more years of Trump judges. God knows what's going to happen in those four years. God knows if this country can survive a crisis under this president. God knows what he will do, what lengths he will go to, maybe even preserve and consolidate his power and maybe last it. For generations to come. Winning is the point, America. Winning is the point. Anybody who has any other points to make, you can make that after the election. All the intramural stuff within the Democratic Party can happen after the election. But between now and November, winning is the point. And unity is the only path to victory. All right. Got a great guest coming up uh, for you. Uh, right after this break, Sarah from Raw Story. Uh, she's been on before. Uh, you love her. You'll hear what she's got to say, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it. And I got to remind you right now uh, that Grasshopper, uh, in business, any business, your communication partner is critical to succeeding and growing. That's why you need to take a look at Grasshopper. Sound more professional and stay connected with Grasshopper, the virtual phone system designed for entrepreneurs. Grasshopper works just like a traditional phone system, but requires no hardware to purchase or software to install. It's all managed by phone. Callers can reach you wherever you are, on your cell phone, in the office, at home. You get a toll-free number for your business and multiple extensions. Set up each extension with a custom call forwarding to any phone in the world. Send, receive SMS text messages from your business number. Get voicemails emailed to you as audio attachments. There's an app for iOS and Android, and it lets you make calls from your business number wherever you are. Plans start at just $12 a month with a 30-day money-back guarantee. To save $50 on your order, go to trygrasshopper.com slash Han. Yes, save $50 on your order at trygrasshopper.com slash Han. That's trygrasshopper.com slash Han. Han. All right, 
I'll be back right after this with Sarah Burris. Joining me now, Sarah Burris. She is a reporter and editor at rawstory.com. Sarah, how you doing? Hey, happy, what are we, Thursday? Happy ha- Thursday. Happy Thursday. What a debate last night, Sarah. I, uh, I, I assume you watched it. I know I did. Uh, I watched it, and then I had to sip out for a minute to go do Fox, and it was such a crazy debate. They wanted to talk about the debate <laughs> on Fox. So, <laughs> I, I, I mean, give me, your, give me your take on it. Holy cat. Uh, I have spent the majority of this election basically saying, um, you know, how how much I was dreading watching these debates. And last night, you know, I had it on, and then all of a sudden, it was just like a little mushroom cloud appeared on Yeah, yeah. A little mushroom crowd named Elizabeth Warren, I think, (laughs) if you ask me. She dropped a bomb on Mike Bloomberg immediately. It was insane. (laughs) It was perfect. And, And I think, honestly, like, everybody expected that to happen. I'm just surprised that it was... You know, Elizabeth Warren was the first one to it. Yeah. I think everybody was ready to drop that bomb. And the fact that Bloomberg appeared so unprepared for it. I was shocked. Yeah. Oh, it was wild. You would Um, think with the staff he has, and I know his staff, they are good. You would think that they would have prepared him for that. That speaks to him more than anything else. That's what I was going to say. I I feel like this is, um, I don't know if it was arrogant. When he went into this thinking, oh, you know, I've done this before. I'm this rich, powerful man who's been the mayor of one of the largest cities in the United States, and and um, I can handle this. This is not going to be a big deal. And it was very, very clear how unprepared he was. He didn't have, uh, you know, one of the things that candidates do is they have these dingers that are prepared ahead of time. Yeah. And Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. He was not ready for any of those. No. Um, he didn't have anything memorized. He didn't have any good one-liners. Um, he was just, and you could see on his face, he was trying to remain very calm and, and chill, but he just looked like a deer in headlights. Ah, he looked like, what's happening here? Why are they all hitting me? Uh, because <laughs> you're spending a half a million dollars a week. <laughs> you're, you know, you're cutting into their leads, and they all want to be president, too. So, And you put out a memo this morning saying you're the only one who could win. <laughs> so it was great. <laughs> crazy. It was completely absurd. And I think the uh, Elizabeth Warren's comment last night, uh, in the spin room, she said, you know, Mike Bloomberg is basically going to turn this around and take videos from tonight and drop another $100 million. Yeah, which he already has, by the way. He, he already has. 
He, yeah, oh, that's the exact same thing he did this morning. It's and he's done very effective videos. I've I've seen many of them because you know you can't go on Twitter or Facebook without seeing a Mike Bloomberg ad. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a it's amazing how quickly they turned around. The question I have for you, and I've been asking this all night. You might have seen it in my Twitter feed. I've been asking it all all, all night on my radio show. I mean, does the debate even matter? I mean, does it even matter? Because Elizabeth Warren wins all these debates, and she's not rising in the polls. You know, it's interesting that I think the difference in this debate versus other debates is, you know, Elizabeth Warren has had some amazing comments. She has a plethora of plans. Um, she, it's very clear that she is brilliant and um, and is well prepared for such a position, but there hasn't been anything that I think has drawn a lot of attention the next day. Yeah. Uh, you saw the, the ratings for last night were huge. Yeah. Um, Everybody want to see Mike. Yeah. For people who, who didn't watch and who aren't really paying much attention, I think they're catching the sound bites after the fact. And Warren is really not one for sound bites. She can talk on and on about policy and and nerdy issues that we all love to read about. But, um, but last night it was very clear that she came to play. Yo, she had some sound bites last night. I mean, she, I mean, that opening salvo against Bloomberg, I mean, I, I don't even know how to compare it. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's insane. It was just, it was just, it was, it was a, it was, it was almost hard to watch. <laughs> so it was good in a lot of ways. So I, I mean, I, those, I, I think that clip's going to be played for the next three days. And I think that's good for her, but I'm just wondering if it makes a difference. I just, I just don't know. I just don't think it does. I don't know. I feel I'm actually uh, back home in Oklahoma uh, to check on my grandfather, and then I fly back to DC uh, tomorrow. But uh, so I'm at my parents' house, and my parents were in the other room watching, you know, some housewives or whatever. And <laughs> I just screamed at the top of my lungs, "Oh my god, turn the debate on right now!" <laughs> and my mother flipped over, and she came running in there after about five or six minutes and, and was like, Oh my God, this is insane. And after the whole debate was over, she's been, uh, she's very pro Joe Biden. She likes, um, Pete Buttigieg, uh, although she's very conservative. So the gay thing is a little bit of a weird thing for her, but she loves his military service. Yep. Um, even though we're Oklahomans, uh, she is not a huge Elizabeth Warren fan. But last night was the first time she was like, you know, Joe Biden did a good job, but that Elizabeth Warren, man, she's really good. She, and that was what surprised me. Yeah. But I, like I said, man, Sarah, I feel like she wins all the debates. You know, I just feel I, like she does well in these debates. And then the next day, Bernie's up five. She's down three. Biden's down five. You know, it's it, it doesn't doesn't make it doesn't doesn't add up to me. I think there's a lot of sexism there, fr- frankly. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. probably the main reason why she's she's not rising the polls and Bernie continues to rise. You know, we get this really progressive candidate uh, in Bernie Sanders whose base seems to be completely loyal to him. And then any marginal support he's getting, I think there might be a little sexism right there. It's possible. It really is possible. I think um you know, the other part of this, though, is that a lot of people were don't really watch a lot of the debates. Yeah. I think this is the one debate where, you know, people are really were really, really paying attention. They wanted to see Bloomberg. They wanted to see um, how that was going to, you know, unfold. Um, 
you know, the, the complete cluster in, in Iowa and then the tiny state of New Hampshire. Now we're getting into states that are a little bit closer to what the American public actually looks like. Yeah. Nevada and South Carolina. And so I feel like, you know, we're, we're also getting closer to the election. And so I think people are. People are starting to pay attention. attention. Yeah. And I, I, I just, and I think that's the difference in, in Warren's, um, you know, I would like to see the polling, obviously, in the next couple of days. Me but too. I would, I would say that would be the major difference between this time versus the other debates. Do you know the numbers? How many people watched that debate last night? Uh, I think it was 19.7 million. Wow. Uh, Brian Felter posted it. I don't have the numbers for Fox News because I know that they were running some of uh, Donald Trump's uh, rally, counter-programming rally in Phoenix. Um, yeah, they so were. They were, I was supposed to go on at ten twenty, and I wound up going on at ten thirty five because they kept dipping into the Trump rally. <laughs> so it oh was, joy! It was so it was so much fun. I had the debate on while I was waiting to go on, so I have a monitor in my studio that I could put something else on, and I I, I told my producer to put the uh, put the debate on because I want to because they're going to want me to talk about the debate. <laughs> so and I, I came down, you know, my studio is in my house and I, 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 you know, I come down into the studio and, and, you know, usually Fox is on and I was like, look, you got to put on MSNBC and let me watch this debate. But I had the, the debate on in one corner and then I had the uh, Trump rally in the other corner and in my ear, the debate was like just coming through speakers and uh, I had in my earpiece, in my IFB, I had the Trump rally. It was surreal. <laughs> it was surreal. That's hilarious. But was... I think it's telling, honestly, that, you know, we had this Democratic debate. Trump was trying to get, you know, his own counter programming. And yet Fox News, all Fox News wanted to talk about was the debate. So all we talked about. Trump. We talked about the debate. We didn't talk about the rally. All right. Hold on. Stay where you're at. All right, you don't have to wait. I know that's a rough cut, but here it comes. Part two of my interview with Sarah Burris from Raw Story. Sarah, I, I mean, you must write like 17 stories a day. <laughs> Sometimes whenever I'm I'm supposed to be writing instead of editing, you're uh, con- it can be like that. You're constantly writing. I see I see nothing but posts from you and your byline. I mean, all day. Um, and, and speaking of posts and things in your Twitter feed, I, I think last night, one of the things that that, you know, got a little bit of attention was the Bernie Sanders answer on how some of his supporters have behaved online. And I think Bernie, to his credit, has handled that answer. He has said all the right things. Um, you know, Pete Buttigieg went back at him, said, hey, you're the leader. You've got to lead these people and keep them from doing it. Take responsibility for it. I think he has. I don't know what else he could do. What is your, you know, as a media, you know, someone who covers the media more than anyone, um, you know, what's your take on this? I do agree. Bernie has said all of the right things. Um, you know, I'm not the, the I'm not supporting Bernie Sanders, but to his credit, he has done exactly what I would advise a candidate to do. He said the right things. He's done the right things. Yep. Um, I, one of the things that I think, and this is, I have no founding of evidence for this, but what I I get that my sense was is we know that there were so many bots during the 2016 campaign, all of these crazy Russian bots, all of these yep. fake accounts that were out there to attack Hillary Clinton supporters um, while masking themselves as Bernie supporters. And, um, you know, there, there are obviously fewer people. We're not seeing that as much this time. Right. We're still seeing a, a few of them. So what I wonder is happening is if those bots in 2016 kind of gave license to, um, you know, to hostile Bernie supporters 
um, the very few that there were, you know, he's talking about the 99.9% of his supporters who are completely chill and, and not hostile to anybody. But for those, you know, 0.1% of hostile people who are Bernie supporters, um, it, it kind of gave them an out to be like, oh, well, all of these other people are doing it, so now I can do it too. Right, right, um, right. And I wonder if that's really the cause of this, if it was just like, you know, these bots were really the ones behind it, but now they've sort of lit a fire under people who are just internet trolls. You know, that's who they are as a, as a person. Hmm. Yeah. I, I I think that's a good analysis of what may or may not happen. I also think that part of it is a lot of these people were new to politics, right? And when you're new to politics, you're not, you, you, when you don't grow up in politics and you start on this, you know, in this nationalized, heated campaign, you don't realize that politics is like a blood sport. And, mm-hmm. and people say things and they do things and, and then you get offended and they start, you know, people are getting easily offended and they're, they're using the same tactics, tactics they would use on Twitter for anybody else in politics. And it just gets a little out of hand, especially when you're talking about millions of people doing it. Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of inexperience uh, in politics. I also feel that people are like posting things on their Twitter feed and now they're married to that position no matter what. And they feel they got to defend it. And that's part of the problem in this country. Nobody could ever be moved. Yeah. No, I agree with that for sure. Um, which, you know, you can always delete a tweet yeah. <laughs> and, and change your position. Or you can just be like, wow, yeah. I just learned some new information about this that made me you know, think about this again in a different way. I think there's nothing wrong with that. And somehow, you know, this, this um, the way that Trump behaved, I feel like has given people this idea that, Nobody can ever change their opinion ever again. Right. Never apologize. Never say you were wrong. I I change my opinion all the time. I last night during the debate, I said all this attacking at the beginning of Mike Bloomberg might be good for Mike Bloomberg. By about 20 minutes in, I'm like, nah, this ain't good for Mike Bloomberg. (laughs) I thought the exact same thing, too. Um, I thought, you know, this is some big uh, it's going to give him a lot more attention and stuff. But then the more they piled on, I was just like, oh. Dang. It was the relentlessness is- of it and his failure to react properly. Yep. That was if exactly. he would if he would have been able to react properly to it, it would have been good for him. But he he it was relentless and didn't stop. And his reaction to it was as bad as I've seen. And yeah, bad. And I I had I didn't delete the tweet that I sent earlier. I just sent another tweet. Changed my mind. I'm a nationally known political pundit. I change my mind all the time. So to you listeners out there who have 500 followers on Twitter, it's okay. Change your mind. It's fine. Nobody cares. Nobody's paying that close of attention. Right, Sarah? Exactly. And it's always nice to learn new things that make you then evolve as a person. That should be the purpose of our time here on earth is to be able to lo- learn and grow and, right. and become better people. So come on, y'all. I mean, we're all progressives. We all believe in evolution. I mean, if you don't believe <laughs> in evolution, you're probably just following me to hate me. We all believe in evolution and things evolve. Opinions can evolve. They change all the time. But by the way, Mike Bloomberg, all you got to do is say I evolved. <laughs> it's fine. You're allowed to change your mind. So bad. It's so bad. It's so, so bad. So, you know, coming up, we, you know, I have a couple minutes left with you. We're coming up on uh, uh, Nevada and then South Carolina. You know, what should we be looking for in the media coverage, both leading into these races and then the reaction to them? 
I think a major thing for Nevada is looking at what I'm curious to see if Harry Reid is going to endorse. Mm. Um, I saw Joe Biden last night saying, I don't think that Harry Reid is going to endorse before the caucus. Um, and, and, but he thinks that he will ultimately endorse in the presidential race. Right. That was really interesting to me. I would understand why Reid would not endorse before the caucus because he probably doesn't want to sway people one way or the other. Um, you know, in his home state. But I, it's interesting to think that Harry Reid would get involved, you know, at a, at any level. Um, you know, he's, politics is still in his blood, but he is, you know, he's ill. He's got cancer. He's yeah. not doing great. Um, although he looked really good last night. He still can pull place. out people in Nevada, though. I mean, he still has that exactly. organization there. And I think it's more important in the primary than in the general. I think the generals lost to Republicans in Nevada. But who knows? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and, and he's arguably one of the smartest politicians um, in my generation. Yep. I would say Pelosi is probably the top on my list. Yep. But Harry Reid was definitely one of and chuck schumer do not forget me chuck schumer i am one of the smartest (laughs) politicians sorry i have to always put that in as a disclaimer as a former aide to chuck schumer he is one of the smartest (laughs) politicians all right sarah running out of time with you it's always great to have you here thanks for joining me where can people find you you can find me on twitter at at sarah burris or on facebook facebook.com sarah k burris there you go. Come follow. There you go. Sarah Burris, thanks for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Everybody, check her out. Check out rawstory.com. You will not regret doing that. They've got a lot of content and and it's always on point. All right, hope you enjoyed Sarah Burris. Check out rawstory.com. Follow her on Twitter too. I'm telling you. Uh, you will not be disappointed. There's a lot of content, a lot of stories. Um, she covers the media, and she covers the way the media covers politics. It's it's really interesting stuff, and she's also pretty witty on Twitter. So I find myself chuckling at many of her tweets. She's very good, and so are a lot of the people that uh, work for her over at work with her at, at Raw Story. It's uh, it's a pretty entertaining site. So here we are. Crunch time, America. We are going to pick a nominee to go up against Donald Trump. And that that nominee, I mean, I hope that when we have these debates this week and going forward, the question is asked, how are you going to unify the party? Period. How do you plan to unify the party? What's your plan? How are you going to do it? Whether you know, you're Bernie Sanders or Mike Bloomberg or Pete Buttigieg or whoever, what's your plan? How are you going to do it? Don't believe any of these stories about running mates. The running mate's going to be the unifier. That's the key. That is the key here, America. Got to pick somebody who's going to bring people together and can bring their team on board. And you got to say, hey, look, this is going to be a joint presidency. A presidency where we are going to work together for the benefit of this country to defeat Donald Trump and Trumpism around this country. And not only that, after the election, bring the nation together, not just the party. You know, you hear me talking a lot about unifying the party, but we've got to unify this nation. You know, I I went to see Billy Joel last week. I'm a Long Islander. It's something we do. He plays Madison Square Garden here in New York City once a month. And I went, I brought my daughter. It was her first uh, 
arena concert. I actually brought her to see uh, Ringo Starr over the summer. He played uh, Bald Hill out on Long Island, a very small venue. It was awesome. Uh, but Billy Joel was awesome. And here's what I was thinking. So Billy Joel has a great song, Piano Man. If you ever go see Billy Joel in concert, which I have done, I think, 20-plus times in my life, um, he sings Piano Man, and everyone in the crowd sings Piano Man with him. Everyone. It is amazing. It is awesome. He stops singing sometimes and lets and listens to the crowd. It's awesome. And I'm getting choked up listening to the crowd and singing with the crowd uh, back to Billy, Piano Man. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, the demographics of this crowd make it very likely that 60% of it is Trump supporters. 40% probably not. If Billy Joel, who everybody in this crowd loves, decided to take a swipe at Donald Trump during this concert, that 60% would boo or walk out, say they are never going to be a Billy Joel fan again. But here we are singing in unison to Piano Man. It gives me hope. I I mean, it gives me hope and it makes me sad at the same time. Because here we are, we're so divided that we can't even really talk politics with certain people anymore. And we've got to figure that out, America. That's something, it's a recurring theme, you know, in my broadcast. That we've got to be able to talk to people who we disagree with. I do that every day. It's part of what I do on Fox. And I interact with a lot of people on the right, uh, both famous people that you know, and people who are not so famous, who I run into when I meet. Uh, well, I met some people who knew me from Fox News at the Billy Joel concert. They were very nice to me and my daughter. Couldn't have been better. I've had nothing but positive experiences, knock on wood, so far uh, with people who I've met who've known me on television. That That's not true of my experience with them on social media, uh, but everywhere else, uh, it's been very pleasant. You know, there were some that are minor unpleasant, right? Some. But we got to get to a place where we talk to people who disagree with us and hopefully people get to a place where they can change their mind. As I remind you all, just because you posted something on Facebook four years ago saying you support Donald Trump does not mean that everyone in the world remembers that. You can move on from that post. I move on from posts sometimes hours later. Not even that debate on uh, last week. I guess it was Wednesday night. You know, at the beginning of the debate, when everybody was attacking Bloomberg, I tweeted, well, this is going to be good for Bloomberg if he's the focus of the debate. Turns out it wasn't good for Bloomberg. And later on in the debate, I'm like, yeah, no, I take that back. I take things back all the time. I say I was wrong all the time. I was wrong in 2016 when I didn't think Donald Trump would get elected. Now, I never said he could never get elected. I just was reading the data. Data showed me that he wasn't going to get elected. Even the exit polls on that day showed me he wasn't going to get elected. But we've got to move on. Don't dig in from these opinions. Don't dig into these opinions you have. Let them go. Move on from them. Change. I mean, (laughs) if we could all sing the same song and love Billy Joel, isn't that a start? I don't know. I hope it is. I hope that, I hope that, you know, we as a nation 
when this is all over, when Trump is gone, can come together as a nation and rally around our similarities and not our very insignificant differences for the most part. All right, with that, I'm going to remind you Well, first, I want to remind you to keep on telling your friends about this podcast. We're doing well. We grow every week. You're you're really making me proud to have done it. And um, I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, I'm at week 46. My contract was supposed to end in in 52 weeks. And now we're going to keep going. (laughs) So indefinitely. So we'll be be doing this for a long time. Maybe I should do a season two. I don't know. I don't know what I got to do. Uh, but I'm going to figure that out at some point, but I'm going to just keep going. I'm going to keep rolling. Uh, I'll be with you for a while. So, uh, if you like it, keep tell a friend and follow me on Twitter and tweet about the podcast. And don't forget to, you know, you can go to ChristopherHahn.com. There's an email address there too, or just follow me on Twitter at Christopher Hahn and tweet at me. I try to respond to most tweets, uh, and I'll try to incorporate any ideas you might have into the podcast. Uh, and we're going to be getting some good guests too coming on, but I want to remind you as always, To seek the truth, question everyone and everything, America, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.